This Sam Mays Podcast Roadshow is brought to you by Pettit Insurance in Norman. Remember, you're always in good hands with Allstate. On the Monday of game week, it's just different. It hits different. It feels different. It's uh, something that has been in my blood my whole life. So when you listen to Red Dirt music, it's like that last rebel sound to me. It is a combination of uh, southern rock and jazz and uh, bluegrass. And and for Skip Bayless to come out and say, I don't feel bad for him and kind of belittle him and say, how dare you? How dare you as the leader of America's team show weakness? Honestly, I want to say what I want to say. This is the Sam Mays Podcast. Welcome. I'm Sam Mays, and today we have the editor of the Okali, Ryan Nobazinski, here with us in the uh, Tyler Media Studios. Thank you for joining me, man. I appreciate it, man. That's right, man. And you know what, Sam? I was an intern here this summer, technically, but I never, ever, ever once got to come in studio, so I'm glad to finally be here. Well, I am very happy to meet you, and obviously the Okali near and dear to my heart, my uh, my school newspaper. Now, keep in mind, I'm an old man, so I'll turn 39 on Thursday. Uh, the Okali was something I used to look forward to during football season. Mm-hmm. This was before Facebook or before uh, any of us, you know, we're getting USA Today's and the Oklahoman on Saturdays of game days. That they were just on our tables in the hotels in the morning so we could read the articles and read about the games and things like that. But the Okali was telling our stories. Mm-hmm. And I always appreciated the way that they would make me feel to see an image of myself on the cover or my teammates on the cover. We were proud to be on you know the focus of our school newspaper, and if you think about that era of Oklahoma State football, we were the focus a lot. Exactly, winning, you yeah. know, winning a bunch of games that we shouldn't have, and uh, you know, Rashawn Woods is the first round draft pick, and then Kevin Williams is the first round draft pick, and you know, these are things that weren't being said about Oklahoma State football mm-hmm. at the time. So I have nothing but fond memories uh, of the Ocali, and even some, you know, when I was on campus during nine eleven. And the stories that those kids told about being on campus at that time, and uh, we were part of that group that played the two weeks later in College Station where they striped the stadium red, white, and blue. Oh, wow. And I remember the Ocali's front page. And, you know, when you get older now, you're going to think back uh, and think, I wish I would have saved this or I wish I would have done that. And I'm, I have those moments. Uh, now I wish I would have saved that paper because it was such a big, impactful moment in, uh, in my life. So I'm, I'm a huge fan of the Ocali. I think you guys do a great job. And I think – you know, when you consider the journalism program in Stillwater, you know, with guys like Dave Hunziker and, 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 and staff in, involved, I mean, it gets better and better every year. So uh, congratulations on getting to this level. Like, being the editor of your school paper is a big deal, man. Hey, thank you, sir. I appreciate that. And, and it's so interesting, too, because you brought up, you know, some of the things that you wish you saved. There's some of that that I even have today because even stuff like tweets will just get buried, you know, because uh, it's an online world and everything moves within a second. And uh, that's the weirdest part about it is that you had those moments where when you were growing up and you were at OSU, you had those things where it was like, that was the only thing that you had, you know, Uh, that's the way you got your news. And now it's like everything is lightning quick to the point where I don't even think people even read our newspapers physically they just read the articles online and a lot of people do and it's a good time but uh it's just such a weird thing how, how time has evolved yeah no there, there's no question about it you know times are changing every single day i think 
when you add the complications, and I call them complications of social media mm-hmm. and just the world in general, right? The, just the feel of it is just different than it than it ever has been before. And we're all just kind of learning and uh, trying to learn how to navigate. And you know, I, I'm look, I'm just I'm 40, man. I'm trying to just tread water in this <laughs> in this world. I feel like you're probably more of a a part of it than than I can ever be, but. Uh, interesting times for sure. Interesting times for sure. You say treading water, and and I mean, we were born with having to tread that water very lightning fast. And I do not envy people that are. And I don't want to call you old here. I don't want to start the show off by doing that. Right. But you're getting older. I mean, I didn't have Facebook when I was a freshman yeah. in college. I didn't have a cell phone yeah. when I was a freshman in college. Think about that. I could not do it. That's 20 years, bro. Mm-hmm. Like in 20 years, I went from no phone to iPhone. Yeah. 12 or whatever the heck it is you know what i mean like it is just a different world like when you consider you know the difference what happened from 1900 to 1920 right people would have told you that the flappers were the devil like short dresses and jazz music and uh you know uh prohibition and alcohol is the devil and you know like and then and then 10 years later you're going into world war Mm one right that's a 30-year span where things looks have changed and uh, people have grown and industries have taken off and you know there's there's the industrial revolution has started and all those things but it wasn't no phone to iphone no you know yeah. like it's just that <laughs> we, we really have i mean you have to be actively engaging and learning at every step exactly i can't like I, i'm not looking forward to that in the future when I, or i'm gonna if, if i'm getting in the media right which i fully intend to do um, I'm going to have to adapt. Yeah. hundred percent. It. It's going to force me to. Yeah. Like, you know, trying to, uh, I love podcasting. I, if I could stop doing radio tomorrow and just mm-hmm. podcast every day, I would do that. Absolutely. I, I think it is, it's just way more comfortable for mm-hmm. me. It's conversational for me. Uh, I would love to put all my time and effort into it. Yeah. I just can't at this you know point in my life. Uh, but I, you know, I need to branch out and do more video. I need to do more, mm-hmm. uh, social media stuff. Oh, and like, it's mm-hmm. just a, but and to be like you have to be on it, you know. It's every day, six, seven times a day, mm-hmm. posting new content and all those things, and it, it is a full time job for sure. One hundred percent. That's why I mean, you people would look at social media managers before, and it's like that's not a job. That's like a, that's like an, another aspect to a job, you know. But no, it is a job now, and I and I understand that even on a small micro scale in the OSU universe. Are you a uh, Oklahoma kid? I'm not. No, I'm from New Jersey. Oh, that's I'm right. Quite Jersey the opposite. Board. Yeah, so my dad's from Orange County, New Jersey. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah, and mom's from White Plains, New York. Nice. Yeah, they met on a, uh, so dad was at West Point, and mom got shipped in from, like, the local secretarial uh-huh. school for a dance. Wow. Yeah, that's how they met, right? It's a crazy story. But, yeah, I know Jersey pretty well. Uh, I love New Jersey. I'm going back there this summer, finally. Uh, honestly, like, throughout the past year and a half, I was sucked into this universe of OSU and just Oklahoma in general because, uh I had some plans to go back, um, you know, the previous summer um, just for a little bit. But then I was COVID happened. And, yeah. uh, you know, and and so the, the summer before that, I, uh, you know, lived out in Oklahoma just to stay with my brother out here. And I just really there was a probably a, a solid year straight where I didn't go back home. And it was so weird. Right. But it also got me ingratiated into this community here. yeah that and we experienced COVID in an entirely different way oh right? my gosh yeah compared to what people did on uh-huh. the east coast yeah i yeah. can't even imagine like living on top of each other and having to deal with a pandemic we yeah. lived in our i mean we it was life-changing for all of us here in oklahoma but nowhere near what it was like in places that were heavily populated 100 percent. Right? yeah and and just the differences in, in governmental responses too um i heard you guys talking on the radio today about you know some of the vaccine passport things and heck even in new jersey right now i was just curious i called my mom earlier today just to say like hey what's the update like what what are you guys doing in terms of like what 
COVID looked like up there, like what stores look like. And she said it still looks like how it did when I was back there in the winter. And I'm like, right. holy crap. Oh, yeah, no, we're coming out of this thing. <laughs> oh, yeah. Gangbangers. I mean, we're uh, ready to go. Like, we're excited to, to uh, step back in the world uh, for sure. I mean, and look, vaccinations are, you're vaccinated. I'm, it's the first mm-hmm. thing I said to you. We walked to the door, I said, I'm vaccinated. Exactly, yeah. And you said, so am I. So mm-hmm. cool. We mask her off and uh, we shook hands and, you know, we're going to do our, our very best. Like, I that's love just it. Uh, the reality of this thing. So, and, and I'm very much, you, you talked about the radio show. I got fucking pissed today. Like, yeah. I'm like, you said, this guy says to me, so you're pro force vaccination. Bro, no, I'm not. Like, that's your body. I'm not pro forcing anybody to do anything. That's, you should do whatever you want to be able to do to your body. Like, I'm the guy that we have all these people in jail for drug abuse. Yeah. I'm like, if people want to take drugs in the confines of their own homes, I don't care what that drug is. Exactly. Do you. And Mm -hmm. if you hurt yourself or kill yourself or any of those things, that's a choice that you're making. Stop trying to govern people's bodies. Yeah. Right? I am not for, like, forcing vaccines. But what I am for is Ryan coming in this door and saying, I'm vaccinated. I'm like, cool, so am I, and shaking hands and us just doing our thing. I love it. Just like being able to walk in any football stadium or basketball stadium or anything like that. You want to go to those things, you have to have the vaccine. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't know why this is hard for people to understand. And that that's what it was like um, for at OSU this past year. Uh, when just navigating through this whole pandemic, it was so weird to see just how much people changed. Like, like it, from my perspective, right? Because once a global health crisis is put in the face of everybody, you kind of see their true colors a little bit. And when you would see people going to the bars, going to these huge parties, just like going crazy, and I'm over here and I have a heart condition. I was actually part of phase two, so that's how I got the uh, the vaccine a little bit earlier. It was so weird to see just how selfish a lot of these people uh, became because they would have to go to, uh, they would go to these bars, right? Then immediately they would go to their uh, classes with their old elderly fat professor, just to put it bluntly. Um, and it was so bizarre. Uh, but going back to the vaccine point too, you look at some people in the state in this state that I've met, and they're saying to me, "Oh well, you never know what's in that vaccine. You never know um, what, what it'll be." Then immediately, probably like fifteen minutes later, there was one girl that did this. She popped two Tylenol, and I was like, "But what's in that? Why? What? What is the shot different um, when it comes to medicine? Right? What right. is it about the shot, the vaccine? Like, do they think they could put more stuff in there? Heck, I think." You know, there has been outbreaks of people putting weird stuff in pill bottles. I think there was, you know, something with uh, t- Tylenol or something with, uh, a couple years ago. Um, stuff like that can happen. What is it about these shots that are so intimidating people? I mean, yeah. I, ho- I don't like needles, but. <laughs> right. I, I mean, sometimes you just feel like people would just want to yell about things that they're being forced to do. I know. They feel like they're being. <laughs> people don't like, I mean, for the same reason, like, you know, the, the uh, Asian community has been wearing masks publicly for exactly ever, right? Mm-hmm. It's just a part of their normal society. Not everybody does it, but a lot of people sure. do. It's just been normalized. Mm-hmm. We we try to get people to wear a mask in the U.S., and it's like, oh, well, now I did you? Have, I mean, there have been people who have been caught defecating in stores. Yeah, like, oh, you want me to wear a mask? I'm gonna shit in your Target. Mm-hmm. What? Like, what kind of crazy ass shit is that? Like, you're just gonna drop your pants and take a dump in a target Mm -hmm. because you're mad that someone tried to get you to wear a mask. Like I think that what we saw more than anything during the pandemic is society really start to crumble on a level that I wasn't anticipating in such a short amount of time. Like, cool. We got pinned up for a little bit. Y'all lost your minds in a matter of months. What months? Yeah. 
crazy. In the in the great city of Stillwater, uh, over the summer, there was some in- instances where uh, some businesses were being threatened if they put their own little personal mask mandates. Uh, and God bless him, the mayor, Will Joyce, he he was uh, he he put a mask mandate on the uh, mask mandate on the town. It's still there, um, and it expires in May. I don't know what's going to happen with it, but um, speculation leans towards that the mask mandate will not continue past May. But back in the summer. People, businesses were getting threatened. Store owners were getting threatened if they would, you know, tell people, "Hey, put a mask on." In the summer, right here in Stillwater, Oklahoma. Yeah, that's 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 wild. <laughs> Stillwater was a hot spot during the whole thing. Oh, also, yeah, mm-hmm. like this, the virus just running rampant. Mm-hmm. Yeah, college kids, right? College I was trying kids. to think about how I would have. Uh, it, what at, at eighteen years old, why I have opted out because of COVID? The answer is absolutely not. Mm-hmm. Uh, I would have just continued to live my life and play the game. Uh, and then frustrated when I got COVID and what had to be quarantined. Like that would, I, I would have gotten it 100%. I would have gotten past it and I would have just been done with it. Yeah. Like I don't, uh, I'm very much, I'm more leery now because I'm 39 years old and fat. Yeah. And I don't want it to kill me. What do you mean? Yeah. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> You're fat, Sam. Yeah. Um, you know, I just, you know, and then there's kids and family and life and jobs and, you know, so you're, I'm a little more leery uh, now, but man, I would have just been balls to the wall then just like any other kid. Sure. And, and that's, I mean, at the beginning of the school year, there was so many just mental gymnastics that I was doing in terms of how I was going to react to this. Right. But then there was an instance where I, it was put in front of me. And I've always kind of been a little bit of a germaphobe. So this is my worst nightmare. Um, but not like to an extreme degree. But then there was one night in August, okay? I think it was August 14th. It was, it was a day that changed my life. We were going um, out. I, I was going back to my now ex-girlfriend's house and... We we were just going back, and we saw it on Washington Street. You know Washington Street, Sam. Oh, yeah, come on, absolutely. you used to own that street. Yeah, I used to black out on that street. <laughs> of course, yeah. You know, and and I just saw all these lights. I saw all these, and I just heard more people there than I've ever heard in my oh, life. Oh no! So just like a rave in the streets. It was rave in the streets. Yeah. You know, and I and I saw more people there than I had ever seen pre-COVID, and heck, even now in this weird sort of. I guess in Stillwater post-COVID era because right. people don't even consider it. Um, but I saw so many people there. So I walked over to the street and I was like, look, we got to, I got to get over there. And I told that to my ex and walked over to the street. We got some videos. Um, and, you know, then the, probably the next couple of days, the tweet blew up and I was on Good Morning America for yeah, it. And that was right. the weirdest week of my life. But that was, you know, at that moment, it changed me. It was like, this is going to be a long year. Oh, yeah. And and that's when I was like, I cannot be like that. Because I interact with old people every day. Right. I interact with, you know. Mike Holder. Of, that, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> out of shape people every day. And I'm not saying Mike Holder. Robert Allen. <laughs> no, <man>. no comment. <laughs> but it's, you know, it's it's like I have to do that with my bosses. I have to, you know, meet some of these elder, uh, elder people, professors and stuff. And I saw that, and I just saw the people that were there on the street, and I was just like, this is just selfish. It just looks selfish, because that was back in August, too. Right. I mean, we that it was just a couple months old back then, COVID. And I know people were frustrated. I was frustrated about the virus, too. I was like, I want to get back out and live in life, but I'm not going to rush it. Yeah. I can't. It's, uh, it, you know, it's been trying. Yeah. It's been a test, you know, for, for every people, every group of people, from young people to old people, and... Uh, like just making decisions and it's breaking relationships, you know, like I've, I've, uh, there's been a lot of, of that, you know, as far as just friends who are no longer friends and, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, people who just don't share the same view. And I, I feel like in a, in a world that is so 
everybody lives in their own miniature bubble, right? Yeah. Like the NBA bubble reminded me so much of just our society today. We choose our tribes, yeah. right? We choose them. And some of our tribes, my tribe is huge, right? It's, yeah. it's former players, it's media members, it's uh, listeners that I've met over the last 12 years. It's, you know, it's, it's people in Ohio and Jersey and New York yeah. and Houston and Dallas. I have a huge tribe. And there's people, though, in this world, and I would say more so than you would believe, that their tribes consist of their households, yeah. right? Their immediate family. And no longer people out in the cul-de-sac kicking it with their neighbors like they used to. And it kind of forced us back inside away from some of those things. At the same time, I would say it also forces back out to the mailbox, yeah. Hank Hill style, right? We're out there talking to some of those people <laughs> that we never talked to before. So I think there's some people that potentially thrived socially during the pandemic because it forced you to do more essentially writing handwritten letters exactly. versus mm -hmm. sending an email. Like mm -hmm. It just had to be more intimate, more details, yeah. more how are you feeling and actually waiting for a response. Yeah. How often do you walk up to somebody and say, how are you doing? And don't wait for the response. Uh, Every time All I say it, time. most of the time. Yeah. <laughs> What's up, man? How you doing? Yeah. And I'm just in motion. Like that dude, he, and they don't even expect me to be seriously asking how no. they're doing. Uh -huh. I promise you when I was quarantined, I was sitting there asking, how are you doing? How are you feeling? Mm -hmm. What are you going through? Right? I mean, everybody's got mental health stuff. I had my own mental health sure. stuff during that time. It was the first time in my life, like you said, where it I meant how you doing, and I say that all the time. You know, that's a greeting that I have. It's just like how you doing, right? Um, you, come on, I'm from the north. I'm from New Jersey. I have to say how you doing, right? You know, uh, <laughs> that's awesome. But it's like it was so bizarre because you're right. You don't ever wait for that response, especially where I'm from. You don't ever wait for that response. Like you just kind of go about your life, and and that's just it's like hello. It's it's a synonym for hello. And during COVID though, you need more intimacy with that you need more of a connection with that because things are still digital right and even right now they're so digital but it was the only time in my life where I enjoyed FaceTime calls because I I hate it like I hate phone calls they kind of just make me a little bit weird I just I, I, I like for them to end because I like you know making plans over the phone as opposed to you know just letting a boring conversation draw out well now these phone calls were that's the only way you can interact with people because right. I was living with my brother just What's he do, by the way? He he golfs. He he's a golf pro in Tulsa. Okay, at, uh, cool. at Southern Hills, Cedar Ridge, Cedar Ridge. Uh, okay, in Broken Arrow. Nice. Um, yeah, it's, it's a good time. And and we we lived in Collinsville, Oklahoma. I know um, Collinsville. And it was so like it's just the smallest town. And great people in Collinsville. Great people in Collinsville. Yeah, yeah. that's uh, not far from Owasso. It, it's not. It's it's like I mean I always kind of say sometimes I'll say Owasso, mm -hmm. but because it's local, uh, I'll just say uh, Collinsville. Um, and also I, just, I mean most times I say Tulsa, right, <laughs> which is thirty minutes away, but. Side tangent. Um, you know, once I was in Collinsville this summer, it, I was literally sheltered away from the rest of the world because we lived in this small neighborhood in this little town. And, I mean, I didn't see my family. I didn't see my friends. I just saw my brother and his wife. God bless them for letting me live there. And it was a great time. We, we, we just, you know, did like pandemic stuff. We just had our time of our life kind of. It was actually a great time. You know, so let's let's fast forward a little bit from this last summer. Mm -hmm. During that time, we saw Chuba Hubbard and Mike Gundy put on a display that I think shocked a lot of the sports mm -hmm. community uh, as Chuba Hubbard had some things to say on social media about an OAN shirt that Mike Gundy was wearing. Mike Gundy, and from my knowledge, without uh, informing anyone at the facility what he was doing, essentially videotapes Chuba Hubbard and it, an apology, right, mm -hmm. that gets put on the ESPN uh, and I essentially lose my shit. Yeah. Who one? That's somebody's child. Like if my kid was in that position to be put on national television, 
and I hadn't thought about what the next steps would have been, and yeah. you're telling me no one from the university was involved either, I would have had a fit at that. But here we are. It's August. Ryan's in on campus, and what are the expectations for Oklahoma State football at that time? Oh, my gosh. That was the weirdest uh, couple. You talk about a weird couple weeks of my life. Like, that was one of them, too, because I had just got back in Stillwater, and then, you know, a couple week or two goes by, and I see this news, the Kyle Boone tweet, the original tweet where he was the one that tweeted out the uh, the shirt, the Mike Gundale and shirt, and I was like, okay, yeah, that's kind of really weird, but I didn't I didn't know to the extent of what OAN was, right? And and I think a lot of people figured out what OAN was because of that. Um, then you know weeks go by or uh, hours go by, and it was the only thing where I had seen something happen. I saw that original tweet, then hours later it became a huge freaking national a, story, right? Yeah, like. Like a cedar tree going yeah. up in fire. Crazy. Uh-huh. And it was something, like, I, I saw this. Like, I was like, oh, my God. And I didn't really even think anything of it. I didn't think we'd have to write a story on it. We right. ended up writing, like, 15, you know? Right. Um, it was so weird. But then, yeah, the expectations at the time were so just, it, it felt like just the doldrums of OSU football. Like, it was like, oh, everything is coming together. It felt like a Mason Rudolph, uh, James Washington senior year kind of thing. Like, like before that shirt incident happened. Yeah. Then after that happened, it was like, I'm like kind of depressed to even have an association with this university right now with so, the so PR you, nightmare they had. You're buying. I love that we're coming back to the PR nightmare. Yeah. <laughs> so you're telling me on campus they're buying the Chuber Hubbard. We're coming back to win a national championship conversation. Maybe not as far as believing they're going to win a title, but you believe that they are legitimately in line to compete for a Big 12 championship next year. Uh, oh, are you talking about, you know, back at the time? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so I thought that, I thought that they could, uh, they would do fantastic. A lot of people on campus thought that as well. There's always, the, you know, people that will, uh, that had the, you know, the questions about Gundy and, you know, his consistency over, you know, OU or lack thereof, rather. Um, I guess consistently losing against OU and stuff. Right. Um, and then, you know. I've got the same amount of against OU, Oklahoma as he does. Of course. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> and it's. I was there 18 less years. <laughs> that is perfect that is a that is a great thing to uh right. to hang i would hang that on my wall absolutely um you know and and you know people were drinking the kool-aid they were buying the hype they were loving it they loved osu football all the time when chuba hubbard announced he was coming back i mean i i don't think i saw a more hype day in terms of the osu fan base right i saw all the people you know there i remember when they would do like the uh, people would put like the canadian flag in their in their little uh yeah. names there on twitter it was a campaign right to get chuba hubbard back and it it worked i guess um it verifiably worked yeah and, and look i'll be i'll be that was something i've been bitching about for years at oklahoma state athletics is their lack of mo- like their their social media mm-hmm. and digital marketing team was just trash yeah and i'll give them credit in the last year mm-hmm. they have really stepped oh, up yeah. their game and i don't know if it's just COVID that forced them to do it mm-hmm. or what but regardless they have improved drastically oh, 100%. compared to what they used to be mm-hmm. yeah they used to just like do the most generic kind right. of stuff now it's better way better um but that was that was the expectation though it was that that national hype kind of thing. Then that day happened, and all stuff just went down the shitter. I mean, yeah. it was so bad. I mean, you saw it, and and as I said before, and I want to overemphasize this, it. Fe- I was my personal self. I was embarrassed to have represented OSU at that point as a student. Right. When I'm I'm from New Jersey. They, no one in New Jersey. When you say OSU, it's Ohio State. Yeah, I mean, I'm sure 100%. you know that as yes. 100%. Yes, and even to me, still, still to this day, it is. Yes. I, I'm a student there, um, but I was embarrassed because people would, you know, send me stuff on Twitter, on Instagram, and like, they would what say, is like, going on out like, there, dude? What is your coach like? You support this guy? And I'm like, 
I don't, I don't know, guys. Right. <laughs> yeah, Gundy uh, is an interesting character. You know, my my relationship with him was was strained my senior season uh, as we're in an inside drill. Um, I'm I by that time I was first team preseason All American. I was uh, one of the top three guards in the country. Yeah. I had NFL expectations and inside drill for me at that time it's just not worth the beating yeah. and in 2021 i would have never even participated with those things with the accolades that i had you know i can block yeah uh gundy told me to get my fat black ass back in the huddle mm. uh i turned and faced him in complete shock it was the worst moment for me at oklahoma state wow. at the time and it just i remember les miles walked up to him and faced him Les's back was to me had something to say to gundy uh, I really considered leaving the field at that time. I did not. I got back in my stance, and I remember Marcus Craig, who was across me, one of the scout team players, he says, what are you doing? You should leave. And so when Chuba Hubbard did what he did, I applauded him so much yeah. because he he said something, mm-hmm. right? I could have walked up there. Jenny Carlson, I'm sure, at that time was a beat writer. Yeah. She, I'm sure she was somewhere where I could have walked up to her and said, this just happened to me. Yeah. Right? Or I could have got, it without Facebook or Twitter, any of those things, there was no, I had no yeah. way to let people know, and there was never anybody on campus that you felt safe enough to tell that stuff to, mm-hmm. right? Uh, I also had a coach duct, literally duct tape my right arm down to my side and put me in a live drill and I broke my wrist. Holy crap. And still water. Right. These are things that would have happened today that both those guys get fired. <laughs> oh, yeah. Right? Are you kidding me? Yeah. So it's just, uh, so Gundy has never been my favorite. You know, I can mm-hmm. respect the job that he's done. He's the winningest coach in Oklahoma State history. I think he has underachieved significantly since he won a title mm-hmm. in 2011. I think he has lost a passion for what he does. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so coming into this season with everything that happened this summer, I'm thinking, can Mike Gundy hold on to this team or will we see a complete and total collapse and honestly honestly ryan i think he exceeded expectations this season immensely Mm -hmm. right exceeded expectations handled the COVID situation well stillwater seemed to oklahoma state seemed to uh keep everybody as healthy as possible they didn't have a whole lot of rumors flying around you know Mm -hmm. the bryce bray situation was interesting earlier in that year but gundy found a way to keep a hold of that group and they went out there and had a successful 2020 campaign during a pandemic. I was blown away by it. I was blown away and then some because of that exact thing. Mike Gundy on May 1st of last year said that he want or no, excuse me, on April, early April of last year, he said that he wants to run money through the state of Oklahoma uh, during the pandemic. And he was the only one at the time we all looked at him like he was crazy. At the time, he was. He wanted all the people to be back in the football facilities by May 1st. Right. We, no one was even – I don't think – I don't even think we ha- had an idea what the NBA was doing on May 1st. And, I mean, come on, that that ended up being a success, obviously. But, like, right. Mike Gundy at the time was a madman for even suggesting that, right? So with that, with, you know, some of the other responses to, um, you know, the, the OAN thing, I thought this was going to be a crap show. I, I really thought that, that OSU... The expectations were high before that day. Then the, after that day happened, where it looked like Mike Gundy literally was just like forcing Chuba Hubbard to say, I'm sorry, and like kumbaya moment kind of thing. I thought that was really weird in that video apology um, with him. I thought things were going to be, we're going to tank so much that players were going to transfer, players were going to sit out, and you were going to see an OSU season that could have ended as a ceiling, a college football playoff. And that, uh, but then it was gonna it was gonna go way to the floor. I thought it was gonna be, you know, maybe a 500 season, and and things were just not gonna be great for OSU. But pleasantly surprised, no significant COVID outbreaks, no COVID outbreaks to, to my knowledge that uh, 
significantly impacted any star player on the team. And I think it went well. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It was uh, it was as good as you're going to get. I, I don't necessarily know what this season did for me as far as expectations into next. Oh, uh, yeah. You know, like I don't, you know, you look at Spencer Sanders and you wonder – is he the guy? Is it the Illingworth kid who I think is in 2021 about as close to a statue as you're going to get? Yeah. You know, with an offensive line that was so beaten up due to injury, you lose Bray in the summertime, and you the, the fact that they pieced that thing together as well as they did was a miracle also. The reality is coming into this spring, I don't know what to expect at Oklahoma State football. I, d- I don't either. And that, that, is a, that is a problem because it is such a weird year now because right after the Mason Rudolph and James Washington senior year, I keep going back to, the, going back to that, but you kind of knew what you were getting into the next year. You had right. Taylor Cornelius as the starting quarterback. Right. I mean, come on. Um, this year... I don't know, because I like some of the things that are getting more consistent. I love how the offensive line, you know that's more than anybody, got the experience that they got. I love that those young guys got that experience because it could end up being like a like a Tulsa situation, right? And I go back to this. Um, Tulsa, the previous year before this one, their offensive line sucked. I mean, they, right. they really sucked. This year, I think they got a little bit better because those guys were so young that first year um, in 2019 – and they just got that experience because they were just young and they got they got those beatings, um, I guess, that you need to become a more consistent blocker on the right. offensive line. This year might be that thing for OSU. It could be. It could be a tough offensive line for them. T- losing Tevin Jenkins is terrible. Though. Right. <laughs> but And I love the defense. Let's just say that. I mean, I love the defense and I love the players that are coming back. I heard you talk about Malcolm Rodriguez and what he, he reached out to you. And I, and I agree with what you said. I mean, I think he is a... Fantastic player. I think he's a fantastic leader. And I and I think the same thing about Trey Sterling and Colby Harvard Appeal. I cannot say enough good things about them. Yeah, I, I'm excited to see what they come out with uh, this spring. I, I don't know what the expectations are for next season in this conference. I think Oklahoma is clearly on a path to a national title uh, conversation. Is Sarkeesian going to be worth a damn in Texas? Is yeah. Gary Patterson get ready to hang it up at TCU? You know, not for Dave Aranda's down there in Baylor with his first true spring and summer with his football team. That's an excellent football yeah. coach. Uh, people want to forget that Matt Rule in just a two seasons turned Baylor into uh, the the focus of one of the world's largest sex scandals in sports history mm-hmm. uh, to a top ten toughest team in college football conversation. Yeah. That heartbeat is still in there somewhere. Randy's just got to find it. I think this conference is going to be challenging, especially in the middle where Mike Gundy and that team are going to start. Uh, so expectations for me are kind of – they're a little bit murky still, uh, but I'm excited to see what the coach brings to the table. He's got to find a way to get more passionate and make me believe that he's still the dude because let me tell you something. I pull up Josh Henson's Twitter page mm-hmm. every day just to look at his profile picture. Exactly. Josh, <laughs> Yeah. if you're listening to this, we love you. There's a place for you in Stillwater. <laughs> like, he should have got the OC job last time he was here. Sure. Like, that dude is the future of the program. Mm-hmm. And a diehard Oklahoma State guy. He yeah. Picked me up. He was a GA when he picked me up at the airport when I was a recruit. And Henson is all in in Oklahoma State. That's the thing that I, that I think that you need. You need some of that rejuvenation from a coach. But whether it's an assistant, whether it's, you know, some sort of coordinator. I actually thought Casey Dunn might be the guy that, you know, once he finally got that promotion, I thought that that might be some sort of spark plug for this team to be like, okay, yeah, and, and Mike, I need to look at that and say, okay, this is a young guy, this guy with a lot of energy, guy that, you know, at least from my perspective, you know, does does media well and, and you know, can be quick with his wit or something like that. I thought he was going to bring that kind of, like, um, passion to the program. And, he, and maybe he has, but I haven't seen it on the field yet. I mean, we got to see we got to see a rejuvenation. Whether you have some sort of weird coach uh, come into this uh, program and and just reignite it, you know, yeah. I don't, and and maybe somebody that will just make Mike Gundy young or, or yeah. Mike Gundy. Uh, 
you know. Seems like he's got a heartbeat fired in his up. Chest. Yeah, yes, exactly. I agree. I agree. Uh, speaking of heartbeats in chest, Mike Boynton in the Oklahoma State basketball program, they start this season with the number one player in the country, Kate Cunningham, mm-hmm. on the roster. Expectations are high. Uh, last year, I would say that Mike Boynton earned my respect as what I would call one of the worst teams in college basketball. Uh, fumbled and bumbled and stumbled throughout that season. But if you notice, like that last three weeks, those dudes got better. Yeah. And he kept them engaged, and they improved. And so I came into this year thinking just maybe, you know, that fight, that beat down at this extra year they have and the, the, the world's best young player, mm-hmm. you know, on this roster, maybe they'll surprise us. And I don't know that I was – wild yeah you know with with what happened this year but i would say um i I, i'm pleased that they signed him long term i think that there's a future with mike boynton here i think he's oklahoma state through and through and that team will play for him you know i just think that this once again the big 12 was murderer's row no weeks off and i think it took kate cunningham a minute to figure out that like i i was i've always been the dude like i will never forget ryan the first time i realized that oh wait I'm, like, good at this. Yeah. Right? Like, my freshman year, I showed up. I went from 5'8", 185 as an eighth grader with a size 16 shoe. Oh, man. To 6'2", 260 as a freshman. Holy crap. I went to school that first day, and I beat the ever-living shit out of the kid that had bullied me for four years. Because I couldn't – imagine being 5'8", and have a size 16 shoe. I couldn't run. No. I couldn't jump. I couldn't skip. I couldn't walk in a straight line. Uh-huh. But now all of a sudden, I'm big, fast, strong, and physical. And I I, I learned all, that I'm going to be great at this. Mm-hmm. Right? I'm on kickoff team as a freshman, beating everybody down the field. I just can't imagine having Cade Cunningham's body and not trying to teabag every player on the other <laughs> team at some point yeah. in a 40-minute game. Like, I'm going to embarrass you now because you're not even on my level. I would have loved to see him be that guy. Like, go give me 40 every other night because you can. Yeah. Right? I don't need you to be out there being – I get it. I think that team got better because of him. This next year, they'll be better because of him. Mm-hmm. I think guys like Trey Young. Trey Young disrailed, derailed Oklahoma's basketball program for two years. Yeah. No one got better. Oh, it's so true. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, no one got better. Everybody's better because of Cade Cunningham and mm-hmm. this team. But I just don't feel like he drove it like he stole it, like he could have. Yeah. And and here's a, like like you you say that and I think everybody is getting better, um, but I wanted a little bit more selfishness from Cade. You know what I mean? Yeah. It why it wouldn't have been a bad thing if you let Cade Cunningham, a guy of that skill, a guy of that stature, be a little bit selfish with it. You know, there's no doubt that Avery Anderson. I mean, Avery Anderson is the best player on that team. Obviously, he's he sort of a little bit declared for the draft, but I think he'll be back. He's he's just feeling out, see what his draft stock is, um, but because he didn't he didn't hire an agent, so he can come back. Um, I think, you know, these players, it, this was a good foundational piece for, uh, them having this season, but man, it, don't you think OSU would have been that two seed that, that, you know, maybe even one seed had Cade Cunningham been a little bit more selfish in those first half sometimes where he would score zero points and, and kind of just be feeling out the opponents. I think he might've been, um, but I'm also not, you know, super, I guess off on this season. I think this season was a was a net positive for OSU basketball. Do I think it could have been better? Absolutely. Yes. But I don't think it was bad. I think this is exactly kind of what I expected. I didn't know that, you know, 2 years ago I didn't know the Boyton would get Cade Cunningham, right? But if if you would have asked me how I thought Boyton's first year in the tournament would have been, I would have I would have said, I bet you they'll be like a fourth, fifth seed and and you know, maybe win a game or two. And that's what they did. 
I think the circumstances are a little bit different now that we're here. Um, and Cade Cunningham was that player that kind of uh, was able to elevate them to that level. But I'm fine with it. And I think OSU is, is going to be a really good basketball team in the next couple of years. Do you think so, for sure? I, I mean, do you think that Mike Boyden is, is worthy of the contract? Oh, I think so. Yeah. And I, and I think they kind of even got him at a, at a good price, too, to tell you the truth. You know, and, and um, when it comes to what he's able to do and the small sample size he's been able to show so far with that 2019 team where, like you said, he got those that crappy team just to roll towards oh, the end yeah. of the year. I mean, are you kidding me? Yeah, I mean, they were inspired. And it makes you, when you can keep kids engaged like that, I played for Bob Simmons my freshman year at mm-hmm. Oklahoma State. Bob was fired probably into October, yeah. maybe beginning in November. Uh, but they let him coach out the rest of the season. Bob was, I would say, slightly racist against yeah. white players. Wow. I would say Bob was... Um, Bob, Bob didn't, he, he let his son start over players that should have started instead. Wow. Like Jamal Fobbs was by far the best. Jamal Fobbs and Richard Schwartz, mm-hmm. right? Kid out of UConn were the best player running backs on that team. And neither one of them got the playing time because Simmons son, wow. Brandon Simmons was starting over them. Like it was, that was like what I walked into <laughs> here. Here's a story for you. You'll love this. Uh-huh. And it'll be a great segue into what we're talking about next social justice conversation. So my first meeting mm-hmm. at Oklahoma state. So do you know the, um, right, right there mm-hmm. off of the, um, what is it? Hall of honor or, or what's that hall called that they have all those oh, the memorabilia in? Yeah, yeah right there. In the, I know exactly. I, I can see it. I don't know what it's called. <laughs> so the doors out there that exit into the stadium, there's a meeting room in there, right? Yeah. Like right by the media room. Yep. Right? And it's got the stadium seats. Yep. So Sam walks in the, into this room, and in the first three rows are all the white kids. Oh, boy. Then there's like a row, empty. And then there's the next three rows where all the black kids sat. Holy crap. Bro, this was in... The year 2000. Wow. Okay. So I'm from Youngstown, Ohio. Clearly significantly more diverse area than what you're getting here uh-huh. in Oklahoma at the time. I got home and called my dad and I was like, I don't know where to do with my hands. Yeah. This is the weirdest thing. And Bob Simmons allowed that. That's how that team was. That team fucking sucked. Yeah. They were terrible. Right? There's nothing about that team that was a together feeling mm-hmm. at all. Nothing. Les Miles comes in that January walks into that exact same situation, literally turns around and walks back out, <laughs> comes back in with his hat full of numbers. Yeah. And he's numbered the room, right? And he makes his pick numbers. And that was his first official move as a head football coach of Oklahoma State was to number seats that room and make us sit next to each other. That is incredible. Tell me that's not some movie shit there. That right? Is- and then in the next three years, we went along to be one of the winningest teams in Oklahoma State history yeah. and beat some – Heavy hitters, right? The only team we didn't beat at that era was Vince Young's Texas team. Oh, my gosh. Beat OU twice, beat Nebraska, beat Brad Smith's Missouri's, used to beat A&M's ass. Like, Les was a great leader. Now, clearly, Les is fucked up now yeah. in the media, and it's sad to see my coach in that display, but I'll never forget being in rooms with him when he's like, look, no one thinks we can win this game. Yeah. Right? We got 20 good football players. They got 45, but we're going to go up there and kick their ass because this is home. This is Stillwater. And no one's coming up here to cowboy country and pushing us around. And we would go running down the street and kick people's asses. That's what we did. That's he, awesome. He recruited pirates, right? <laughs> he recruited, which is also why Gundy had to go ahead and probably get rid of half the team once he took over the the because uh, posi- mm-hmm. he couldn't control them. Les could control those dudes. Mm-hmm. You know, Les was going down to Houston and getting some dudes. Yeah. Xavier Lawson Kennedy and Brad Gerkman. I'm talking some heavy hitters were coming up there playing at Oklahoma State. It's guys that just like I said were pirates. Bad. 
bad personalities, bad uh, attitudes, and they were just some heavy hitters. So I don't know, man. It's the the uh, the social justice conversation, the race you know conversation. Once again, has has been flared up as this weekend. You know, we lost. Uh, a young man today i i had a uh, a lady a cashier at walmart look at me a very old uh black woman and she said be careful out there my son wow and i'm like you know it kind of catches you off guard and i'm like and i then i realize exactly what she's talking about right she's looking at me going you are targets and i'm and i am so conflicted because like in this situation you could just tell the the biggest Think this was not a race thing, in my opinion, right? This was a poor training thing. Yeah. And the biggest conversation about this is how is that lady going to be on the force for 26 years, and and have the reaction that she did in the moment? And I can't, Ryan. I cannot help but shake this. And I think there's going to be people out there that want to yell at me or going to be shocked by this. But I I think we need to start as much as we've seen police officers do heinous things, right? And as much as there are some ignorant and uh, horrible people in position of power, we saw that that uh, military man get pepper sprayed by yeah. that cop. Are you fucking kidding me? Mm-hmm. Like we want to talk about how kneeling is disrespectful to the to the troops, but we're gonna let that dude and a guy in full in full uniform get get pepper sprayed in his car. Come on, like that. It, it's just an it's an insane story. I just I just don't understand. I, what I'm getting at is I think that there's good cops up there that probably are suffering from a little bit of PTSD. Yeah. Or maybe not PTSD, but something to that effect where you could just tell in a city like that, the police force has been decimated. People have quit. People are scared. Every dark face to mm-hmm. them could be potentially in a, a, you know, a bad situation. Yeah. You know, the U.S. has 4% of the world's population and 44% of the guns. What? Oh, my goodness. What? Yeah. So, like, imagine being a cop in Minneapolis. This kid's got a warrant for some sort of gun charge. Mm-hmm. He's not complying. And in her voice, right, you could hear it. Panic. She panicked. She absolutely was scared to death, and she panicked. And the problem with this is, like teachers, I feel like, who are underpaid, until we are able to make policing a position that requires more education and they are compensated more, yeah. right? Whether it is a police officer and now they are paired with a social worker who is also there and potentially armed, but there to talk, not fight. Yeah. And then offer them a salary that is comparable for their education and the ability to disarm a situation mm-hmm. until we can do that. This is what's going to happen. Right, this is what's going to happen, and that's just kind of where I'm at with this. Mm-hmm. And I, and here's, I think too, if if you have more education programs like that, I think if I'm, if if somebody out there, like let's say Officer Joe, like we'll make a random person, if Officer Joe is is secretly a racist, right, and he sits, do you think he's going to want to sit through hours and hours and hours of of racial education? I don't think so at all. You know, I think that he, you would weed out not 100 percent of the racist cops or corrupt cops or whatever. But I think you would weed out a, lot, a good portion of them, um, and I and I think you know you said people are quitting left and right, and they are. Um, it's been you know so horrible to have to cover some of these things and and you know find the local angles of them. But there are local angles. There are many incidents like this that have happened over the years in Oklahoma, and there is just 
I, I agree with you. I don't think the solution is 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 hating police. You know, right. I really don't think it is. They I think to that's... find a way not to do that. At the same time, mm-hmm. that elderly woman today was looking at me like with some real concern. Yeah, and like if you and I left here tonight mm-hmm. and we got pulled over. It would make you, the my reaction would make you as uncomfortable as you've ever been. Really? I don't move. Wow. I don't move my head. I put my hands in the steering wheel. I wait till they get all the way up to the side of the car. Mm-hmm. This is after I rolled my window down. And then they have to engage me before I even turn my body quickly. I can't move in my car. Yeah. Right? I can't be, I'm already assessed as a risk just because of my sheer size. Mm-hmm. And so what I, I would rather a police officer tell me, and this has happened before, this happened to me a, a mile down the road from this office. Yeah. Get out of your car. Hands on the back of your trunk. Wow. Police dog thrown in my car. Like, what? I'm going to stand there quietly because Gosh. I want to make sure that I come home. Right? Yeah. I mean, it's just a, it's a, it just makes you, it makes me feel hopeless sometimes. Yeah. Uh, there's a lot of fear in seeing red and blue lights. You yeah. Know, just, just the reality of the, the situation. So I think on both sides, good people on both sides, because there are good people on both sides, just like there's criminals on both sides. Yeah. I think that are both suffering at this point, and I don't know that it's being acknowledged or addressed, uh, or if it can be acknowledged or addressed in a way that's going to help either party deal with some of this stuff. Like yeah. there's a lot of stress that's involved with young black men in particular in their households. Moms are telling them, if you see the police, run. Mm-hmm. Right. If you if you see the police in our neighborhood run, the police driving down my street, in my neighborhood growing up, mm-hmm. that was not a, a good like I watch these kids in Evan, the, co- the cops drive past and they're waving and yeah. hey, and all those the cops came down my neighborhood. They weren't there for a positive thing. They were there to make me scared as a mm-hmm. kid, as a little kid policing their area. Yeah. Right. Policing a square foot, not people that need to be policed. So I, I think that this is a massive conversation uh, here in the U.S., and, but I am very much a realist. Uh, in our government, I'm very much a realist in our society. There's just so much involved with making these changes. I don't know that in my lifetime we will see them. I, I don't think so. Either. Right? 4% of the, of the population and 44% of the guns. You know, why is it easier to police in Europe? Why is it easier to police in Saudi Arabia? Why is it easier to police in a million different places here? Because people aren't armed. Mm-hmm. And police officers are wearing, guess what, bright, shiny things because they're yeah. there to help you. Mm-hmm. Right, we have the, one of the few police forces in the world that are shrouded in darkness, that are there camouflaged. Cops aren't camouflaged in England; they look like beakers, right? Like that guy's a police officer; he's here to help you. Like that's what they're there to do. I don't know how to get there, mm-hmm. and I don't want to tell police officers to give up their guns. I just told you, forty-four percent of the guns are in this country. Yeah, bad people have guns. Cops need them. Uh-huh. They do, right? Yeah. They just do. So unless you're going to pay a cop half a million dollars a year. To go in as an unarmed police officer in some of the worst places in America, what are we going to do? What's next? Like, how do we fix it? I, I like what you said about police being camouflaged, too, you know, because it, it, it's like there are cars, and I think they're, they're actually the brand new ones that are in Tulsa, that you would be, you would look at these, the, the print that's on the cars that says Tulsa Police, and it is just one point one shade different oh of yeah the, of the black oh than it is yeah you gotta catch that black. sucker at an angle <laughs> it is crazy yeah you know it's like those like reflective shoes that you, you know you look at from a different angle and they change colors whatever but it is a bizarre thing and i agree with you i think that you know you look at some of these scenarios and uh the response that you have to have as a black man in a car is ridiculous you know um because be, it's just but i understand it because that's you know the the reality that is faced nowadays mike boynton to to localize this mike boynton told a story over the summer and it was fantastic it resonated with me tremendously um he was talk, talking about his 
rise in uh, the city of Brooklyn and, and stuff like that just when he was younger growing up. And there was, um, I guess, somebody, you know, who, who had robbed a local store. Um, and I think he was real young. I think he was like either 10 or 12 at the time. And he was just riding his bike. But somebody had recently robbed like a local gas station or something like that. The police like had had stopped Mike Boyan at 10 or 12 years old. And they told him like, hey, son, like pull over. Like we're trying to identify a, uh, you know, a, a potential robber and you, you know, fit the description or whatever. And they ended up like having all these ki- all these cops out there, like a couple cars, and they had to hit their guns drawn on him. Right, a ten year old, yeah, man. a basketball coach for OSU. You know, you know what's cool though is the fact that you and I are having this conversation. I know the I fact agree. that you and Mike had this conversation, mm-hmm. and as long as we keep having these conversations, you yeah. feel like our children won't have to. I know, right? Like that is you know, if there's anything that's keeping me from wanted to scream at the top of my lungs about this every single day is like there's change happening on TikTok. There's yeah. change happening in our elementary schools. There's change happening around this country with our youth mm-hmm. that this won't be an issue in two generations, right? Yeah. We won't be having these conversations. And if we are having these conversations, it's going to be about sex of our society mm-hmm. that have come together and verbally and visually just committed to being anti or pro-white yeah. or pro you know what I mean? Like, that's that's kind of where this thing is headed. I don't know if that's going to be a good thing mm-hmm. or a bad thing or what, but I just, I just, I can't imagine that on our ground level of our humanity, our humans here in the United States, mm-hmm. Americans in this, in, in this country, that we're going to be facing these things, these same challenges or having these conversations in, yeah. in almost 20 or 30 years. Like, I'm telling you right now, if I would have told Martin Luther King, sir, this is going to be over for you in 2020 or 2031. And in that moment, when he done the math and thought to himself, okay, it's going to take almost 100 years. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, I mean, it's going right. to take a while to, to get here. Um, I don't know if he would have been happy or, or sad, but to know that there was going to eventually be an end maybe mm-hmm. would have gave him some peace. Yeah. Right? It kind of gives me a little bit of peace. Um, I won't be around to see it, but my kids will be. Mm-hmm. You know? Um, I don't know, man. Interesting, interesting times. Like I said, it's it's a positive that we were able to have this conversation, man. I agree, man. Yeah, I agree completely. And and you know, it's it's so uh, good to see you know some of the progression with it. You know that that just over the past year, as many hardships, as many messed up things that there have been, that there is also progress uh, throughout. You know, yeah. and it's just you're you're faced with that, and you see it every day. You know, uh, and good and bad, but I like that there's good in there. So you're incredible. Uh, look who's talking, man. You killed it, man. Thank I appreciate you. it. I uh, I loved having you on. We have to have you on more. I, I would love to. Um, yeah, we'll keep tabs with you this summer. Let's talk it and let's talk again as football season gets closer. You killed it, man. Let's do it, man. All right, I'm going to try it one more time without looking. Okay. Ryan Novazinski. There you go. Uh, there it is. <laughs> Editor of the Ocali. Thank you so much, my friend. Thank you, Sam. I appreciate it, man. Have a good one. Yes, you too, sir. The Sam Mays Podcast is a production of P-Squared Media.